Welcome back to the Richard Roper Podcast. I am Richard Roper. Thanks, as always, to everybody who's been listening and downloading and sharing and uh, also uh, hitting me up with comments, whether it's at uh, my SunTimes email address, which is rroper at suntimes.com, or you can follow me on Twitter at Richard E. Roper, at Richard E. Roper. Uh, lots to talk about today. It's uh, Thursday, June 22nd, as I'm recording this, and we'll get it out to you in the next day or two. But I, the, the time is important because one of the things we're going to talk about is a story of great urgency and the timing matters. So we're going to get into that. We've got a bunch of reviews. We're going to get into an in-depth discussion and analysis of season two of The Bear, which has now officially dropped all 10 episodes of season two, other reviews. And uh, we're going to talk about some idiotic uh, fan behavior at concerts and other live events. All of that and more. But first, here's a reminder. The Richard Rover Show is brought to you by AmericanEagle.com Studios. The digital landscape is changing rapidly. And to compete in today's online business environment, you need what? An experienced partner. Since 1995, AmericanEagle.com has partnered with companies of all sizes, offering web design, web development, e-commerce, mobile apps, and of course, digital marketing to drive your overall business's success because they believe that today's online world is your online opportunity. All right, uh, I mentioned the the date and time because as I'm recording this, guys, on a Thursday morning, the oxygen has officially, according to all calculations, run out on that submersible. We've been following this, right? Everybody's been... uh, following this story for the last week or so and the submersible vessel that has descended deep into the ocean and they're still looking for it with five on board uh, at this point they have lost oxygen we don't know for sure what the outcome is but it's looking increasingly grim as i've mentioned in the past this podcast used to be called screen time and we talk about everything that, that you see on the screen whether it's uh, your phone or your ipad or a, a big movie theater screen or your television whatever the case may be and in this case, I want to talk a little bit about um, the ongoing debate about the media coverage of this story, which has been all-encompassing saturation coverage. I think a lot of people are thinking, and some of the social media reactions. There's an interesting story that just got, uh, came out of uh, CNN. It's the story leading the broadcast evening news, saturating cable and dominating digital platforms, the developing saga of a submersible vessel that has descended deep into the ocean for a rendezvous with the Titanic has received intense, extraordinary coverage this week from every major news organization. And that's absolutely true. Now, there's a lot of things at play here. Uh, when we talk about news, and I've had this debate you know, for years as somebody who started out as a news reporter, and people would say to me, why do you guys in the Sun-Times in Chicago or local TV, when I worked in local TV and news, why do you always cover this? Why don't you cover that? And it's not a perfect system. Uh, but, you know, it goes back to the uh, the adage about uh, dog bites man is not news, man bites dog is news, when things that are unusual occur. Unfortunately, you could cover crime nonstop here in Chicago and actually across the country. And we do here in Chicago, the newspapers and, and the local news cover it extensively. Uh, but you could you could devote your entire newscast to it, unfortunately, because it happens, unfortunately, again, every day. This is a, a highly unusual story. It has all kinds of elements about, you know, the, our ongoing century-long fascination, in some cases, obsession with Titanic, the fact that it's a billionaire and four millionaires on this, this vessel. The more we've learned about this thing, this tin can that, that, that was dropped into the ocean, which seems like an absolutely absurd and uh, ridiculous uh, piece of equipment that was not really safe. We're, we're definitely finding that out. 
So there's a lot of question about why this is getting so much coverage. A lot of questions about that. Uh, in the CNN story, Sam Friedman, who's a professor at the Columbia School of uh, Journalism, he says, we can understand the high drama of this event. It resonates with the Titanic sinking. But considering the Trump indictment, the Ukraine war, and other immensely important ongoing news, the coverage of the sub's disappearance and the attempted rescue seems very excessive to me. Can't really argue with that. The Irish journalist Vincent Brown says the media obsession with the Titanic submersible is in contrast with the relative meager coverage of the drownings in the Mediterranean Sea, referring to the boats carrying scores of migrants that have sunk in recent months in a desperate attempt to reach Europe. Pakistani authorities just last week said that more than 300 people were killed when a fishing boat packed with people sunk off the coast of Greece. That didn't get anywhere near the coverage this current situation got. So, you know, it, there's no arguing with the fact that some of these other stories are bigger and more important and involve more lives, but there's something very unusual about this. I, I, I do think the coverage has been very thorough. You know, it's incredible to hear from a number of experts, including some people who have been in this, this very same vessel and other people who have made the dives to the Titanic and, and talking about the fact that this thing, you know, when you hear about rich people go, either going up in space or in this case going down into the depths of the ocean, you think of some sort of luxury vehicle. And it turns out this thing is basically like a, a, a stripped minivan with PlayStation type controls and a makeshift bathroom and not even enough room to sit. You're sort of all cross-legged on the floor. There's one little portal that you have to take turns looking out at it very claustrophobic and all kinds of problems, including the fact that even had this thing uh, bobbed to the surface, they still would have needed rescue teams to come there because you can't open the hatch from the inside. To me, it seems unimaginable that you'd pay $250,000 for this experience. We send our best thoughts and prayers and hope that the outcome is different, but I don't think it's going to be guys, but I really do. I do understand the coverage, you know, and there's always, I always say to people too, like, you know, there's other places you can go if you want, coverage of other stories. Back in the day when I was uh, writing a news column for the Chicago Sun-Times, I, I encountered this all the time. If I wrote about something very, very heavy, you know, a, a murder in Chicago, a plague somewhere, uh, the onset of, uh, you know, a, a horrific disease, um, any kind of worldwide event, when I would write columns about that, I would get lots of responses from people saying, you know, man, I can get the news, the hard news elsewhere. I turn to your column for humor and light observations and pop culture insights, and now you're getting into the heavy stuff. But if I wrote a column about pop culture or about my day or just some, you know, Seinfeldian observations, if you will, then I would hear from people saying, I can't believe you wasted 900 words on your stupid thoughts about can openers when there's so much tragedy going on in the world. So there's always going to be, you know, an element that you just can't please everyone. It is interesting to me that there's still, and I, listen, I, I love James Cameron's uh, Titanic. I've watched tons of documentaries and read lots of books about it. It is, you know, again, a hundred years ago, it's still this incredible, fascinating story about this supposedly unsinkable ship that didn't make it on its first journey across the ocean. And we had a lot of, you know, stories about class differences and, and society back then, because you had, you know, you had the, the very wealthy people who were, you know, in this floating luxury hotel, and then you had the middle class, and then you had the, you know, the, the, the workers in steerage. And, you know, that continued on right through the sinking where some, you know, it was women and children first, but some people figured out a way to get on the boats. So, you know, even then, 
there were a lot of stories about you know the various class uh, distinctions that played into the sinking of the Titanic, and it is just this monumental story, you know, just dripping with drama. I do say at this point, you know, it's probably time for us to all move on. There are so many documentaries, you know, where we can see the footage of the the Titanic, which, by the way, because of uh, metal and eating bacteria and stuff, it it at some point is going to almost completely disintegrate, from what I understand. But we know what it looks like. I mean, these people that wanted to go down there and look through this little portal, okay. I don't know that that experience really enriches anybody. If they want to do it, they took the risk. And unfortunately, you know, it, it's it's turning out, it appears to be very tragic. But I don't want to see another movie about the Titanic. I don't want to read another book about it. And I have seen, you know, some uh, descendants, some, you know, relatives of those who were lost in the Titanic saying, you know, it really is a grave site. It really is a place where a lot of people, hundreds upon hundreds of people died and maybe it's time to show it that respect and not treat it as a museum exhibit. All right, uh, I want to move on uh, from that story and talk about season two of The Bear, which I believe is one of the best TV series out there right now. And there's something, you know, even, you know, the writer strike is still going on. So we're going to see a drop off in content uh, somewhere down the line. But there is something wonderful about the world of television and streaming now. Uh, we've talked about this in the past. Back in the day, there were seasons, you know, the fall television season is when all the networks would debut their new shows and you'd see the return of your favorites, whether it was Cheers or or, or Seinfeld or Friends or whatever the case may be. Uh, and then you'd get your 22 episodes or sometimes back in the day, even more than that. And then the summer was for reruns and summer replacement shows and game shows and talent shows and things like that. Nowadays, of course, you still have that. You still have a lot of shows, especially on the networks that debut in the fall. But it's kind of a constant thing because you know, Peacock and, and Hulu and Apple TV and Plus and, and all the rest, HBO, they don't they don't have to uh, worry about seasons and things like that. They can roll things out anytime they like. We just saw uh, the season or no, the series finales, I should say, guys, of Ted Lasso and Succession and Barry. And just when you're thinking, oh, man, we're, we're missing so many great shows, along comes season two of The Bear, which I believe is on a par with those shows. It's, it's absolutely fantastic. Now, last year, they rolled it out one episode at a time. This year, all 10 episodes dropped. If you haven't watched it and you don't want spoilers, stop listening now. Fast forward about 10 minutes if you'd like, because I am going to get into it. This is for people who have seen it or just want to hear about the spoilers. Uh, so season two picks up. If you'll recall, at the end of season one, Carmi had decided that they were going to, you know, close down the original beef and open a restaurant called The Bear. So season two is all about the rush to open the restaurant uh, on a very short clock because they're facing a huge financial crush. And if they don't get the restaurant open and if it isn't a source of revenue, it's going to be torn down and the property is going to be sold and they're all going to be out of work. So that's it's kind of the countdown. Every episode, it'll say like, you know, 12 weeks to opening, four weeks to opening. It's brilliantly done. The performances are amazing. And I do want to talk again, spoiler alert, last spoiler alert. I want to talk about some of the guest appearances. You may have seen, you know, it was, I think Variety broke the story that Bob Odenkirk was going to be in an episode. John Bernthal returns in a, in a, in a searing and riveting and devastating flashback episode. Uh, he remember, as you might recall, he plays the, uh, the brother, Mikey, who committed suicide. And we go back about five years and there's a, a family holiday dinner that goes sideways in a way that's like something out of who's afraid of Virginia Wolf or streetcar named desire, just absolutely devastating stuff. 
And in this flashback sequence, the mother of the two brothers and the sister, the mother is played by none other than Jamie Lee Curtis, Oscar winner, legend, iconic Jamie Lee Curtis. And we see where the anxiety and the, uh, the depression and the mental illness, we see where it comes from. It, you know, it would, it did not start with the siblings. Um, just a, a brilliant uh, killer performance uh, from Jamie Lee. John Mulaney shows up. And, you know, when I saw John Mulaney showing up as a, he's a cousin in the flashback sequence, my first thought was, Oh, I hope this doesn't become the John Mulaney show because he's got such a distinct personality, especially as a standup, but he actually delivers a straightforward dramatic comedic performance. He has a monologue that goes for about two or three pages of script. That's as good as anything he's ever done. Oliver Platt returns. He was in the uh, the original season, and he comes back as the uncle, so to speak, uh, and the guy who's uh, financing uh, the restaurant. And are you ready for this? Olivia Coleman shows up in season two of The Bear and has a brilliant scene. So if you watched the first season and loved it, I, I got great news for you. The second season is even better. Those aren't all the guest stars, but I'm just going to leave it at that. Brilliant acting, great writing. As you know, I'm here in Chicago, and The Bear is filmed pretty much in its entirety right here in Chicago. There's a whole episode that actually goes overseas, which is really cool as well. But it's such a Chicago show, and yet such a universal show. I've talked to so many people who work in the restaurant business who say that this show gets it like almost no other. So season two of The Bear is available right now. Check it out if you can. Okay. Before we break, I want to talk about one more thing. Uh, did you see this story about the idiot who threw a phone at the singer BB Rexa and actually hit her? She actually uh, uh, collapsed to the ground, uh, and then she posted photos of the injuries. This was in New York City uh, about a week ago. She was in doing delivering a, a show at Pier Seventeen. That's a venue at the South Street Seaport in Lower Manhattan. And this guy threw the phone at her. He said, I was trying to see if I could hit her with it because it would be funny. That's what the guy said. Now, the, the good news, the, at least the, the, the right news is this guy was arrested. He's been charged with harassment and assault. I mean, it could have been even worse. And, you know, I got to tell you something, this this idea when fans want to get involved with an activity, whether they're getting into heated confrontations with NBA players because they got those courtside seats, which put them so close to the action or throwing things at concerts or interrupting stand up comedians. Don't be an asshole. Don't make it about you. How starved for attention must you be that you go to an event and you have to make it about you? Nobody's there to see you. So this could have been, you know, she's uh, the uh, BB Rex is actually taking this, you know, with very a lot of class and, you know, just saying, hey, I'm good. This guy could face up to a year in jail if convicted. Now, I want to just uh, pivot real quickly and talk about this, this use of, um, of cell phones. You know, there was the famous photo uh, when LeBron James broke the NBA all time scoring record and almost everybody in the stands was taking a cell phone picture instead of actually witnessing the moment live. And I'm like, you know, ABC is there. Sports Illustrated is there. No one wants to see your shitty picture from the 15th row. But people just have to do this. And now at so many concerts, and, and that was the case here with BB Rexa, she had actually asked people, you know, nicely, hey, can you put, you've got your pictures and videos. Can you just put away the phones for a while? Let's enjoy the end of the show. I just wish people would learn to have some sort of self-control. Now, I will say this. Uh, 
Speaking of the bear, uh, Rami Youssef, who has a, a, a an award-winning series called Rami, and he's done a bunch of stand-up specials, and he actually directed an episode of the bear. Uh, he was in Chicago last week. He's working on a new stand-up special that's going to be on HBO, and he was at the Vic Theater, which is a famous venue here in Chicago. It's been around for more than 100 years. Uh, and I was he invited me to come to the show and, and say hello backstage, and it was really cool. It's interesting, though, uh, and I'm, I'm sure some of you folks have heard of these things. It's called the Yonder Pouch, and there's some other devices. But basically, they didn't confiscate our phones when we went into the venue, but they did uh, require everyone to store your mobile device in what they call the Yonder Pouch. And then you get to keep the, the pouch with you. It blocks the use of cell phones, smartwatches, cameras, or recording devices. You still have your phones at all times. If you needed to step outside and thought you might have an emergency or something, they can you know uh, unlock the Yonder and then relock it. But it's kind of great because for the entirety of the show, you can't you you can't open this pouch. You're, you're not you you know unless you brought some sort of you know tools that from a bank robbing movie, uh, a heist movie. You you can't and it just and you you just kind of accept it after a couple of minutes. You're like, okay, I'm I can't touch my phone for two hours. I'll live. And then when you walk out of the venue and the exit of the venue, there's a number of people out there. They can unlock the pouch in like three seconds and hand you your phone. And I know they're doing this more and more at venues because we can't patrol and control ourselves so i think the yonder pouch is actually a great idea and i think it you know what if it's a huge venue i'm sure it's a little bit of a problem because it's gonna you know you're gonna need a lot of people to help unlock the pouches and hand out the pouches and etc but it's come to this because nobody has any self-control and we all have to filter everything through the lenses of our smartphones so good for the yonder pouch all right let's take a break and talk about portillo's and then come back and i've got a couple more reviews for you All right, it's time to tell you about Portillo's, the greatest single fast casual cuisine experience you're ever having, ever in your life. Let's talk about the hot dogs and all the famous Chicago ingredients. They'll do it for you so you don't have to worry about getting it wrong. That includes the poppy seed bun. Then we could talk about the Italian beef, the sausage, and the fries, the salad, the chicken, you name it, all topped up, of course, with the legendary Portillo's chocolate cake. It's fast casual. That means it's better than fast food. You can sit down if you go to one of the restaurants, but it's still super casual. And you can order anywhere in the country via Portillo's.com. That's P-O-R-T-I-L-L-O-S.com. Once again, P-O-R-T-I-L-L-O-S.com. Ask your friends from Chicago about it, Portillo's.com. Need a car for college, date our 19-year-old son this summer. We're looking for an attractive, kind, and intelligent woman, early to mid-20s. In exchange, we'll give you a Buick Regal, clean, rust-free, 40K miles. Date is in quotes. You're actually considering this. I've had a one-night stand before and gotten zero Buick Regals for it. I had sex once because I didn't want to commute in the morning. I've had sex with a guy once to get out of playing Settlers of Catan. I had sex with a guy once on a first date because I thought he was going to kill me. Jesus. Get with me now, babe. She's talking about you, dumbass. Okay, that's a clip from No Hard Feelings, which is just now hitting theaters. Uh, man, tons of publicity about this film. I think that there's been an almost inordinate amount of attention paid to No Hard Feelings because it's a, 
theatrical release that's an R-rated comedy. And that used to be something that we'd see every week back in the 80s and 90s and even in the early 2000s, but it's a very rare thing these days. And also the fact that uh, the lead is an A-list Oscar-winning actor in Jennifer Lawrence. So it felt to me, I'm giving it three stars. Uh, you know, speaking of the 80s, you know, you had all those sexually charged comedies like Fast Times at Ridgemont High and Risky Business and even 16 Candles and Revenge of the Nerds. It's not at that level, but it is better than all the pieces of garbage that came out back in the 80s, like Porky's and The Last American Virgin and Going All the Way and Private School and Blame It Unreal. I mean, every week it seemed like they, you know, there would be another release of an R-rated, uh, leering, uh, creepy, uh, romantic, if you will, but really sex comedy. Uh, no hard feelings. It's it's kind of an interesting premise because it is edgy. Uh, Jennifer Lawrence plays a 32-year-old woman who answers a Craigslist ad. She's in dire need of a car. There's a whole setup for that. And a wealthy couple has put an ad on Craigslist saying, if you date, in quotes, our 19-year-old son, we'll give you a Buick Regal. A nice used car, American made, the Buick Regal. Uh, and that's the setup. So uh, she's 32. The son is 19. Andrew Barth Feldman plays the son, and he, he does a wonderful job there. And, of course, he can't know that she's been hired to date him. He's this very shy, socially awkward, very sweet and smart kid. But, you know, they they want the parents want to have him come out of his shell before he goes to Princeton in the fall. So that's the setup. You know where this is going to go. You know there's going to be some, you know, there's some wacky hijinks. There's lots of nudity. You're going to get some crazy car chases. There will be vomiting. Everything you get in these R-rated movies. I thought it actually started playing it kind of safe, believe it or not, even with that premise. But it had a couple of really touching moments. Uh, and Jennifer Lawrence and Andrew Barth Feldman are really good together. So no hard feelings. Pretty good is what we say. Pretty, pretty, pretty good. Also coming out this week, now available on Disney Plus, is Secret Invasion. I think this is the ninth uh, Marvel television series. I like this as well. I gave this three stars as well. Secret Invasion on Disney Plus. So this is all about Samuel L. Jackson's Nick Fury. And uh, it has flashback sequences set back in 1995, uh, where you get the computer de-aged version of Sam Jackson. And he's promising the scrolls. Now, the scrolls are those shapeshifters who were are an alien race who who lost their home planet and they're here on Earth. And in 1995, he promises that he and Carol Danvers will find them a new planet. That flash forward to the present day, they still haven't found the scrolls a new planet. And now there's a scrolls rebellion. Some scrolls are saying, you know what? We'll take Earth as our planet, and we will we will take this planet from you. So it's all about that. I like the fact that it's self-contained. It's more of an invasion of the body snatchers type uh, story than uh, a superhero adventure where people are flying around. They come up with a, a plot device. Why aren't the Avengers there? That kind of makes sense. So it's really up to, to Nick Fury to save the world. Good stuff. Secret Invasion on Disney+. Plus. I want to mention uh, one other film, guys, that's really under the radar. But again... When people say, oh, they don't make movies anymore that are about characters and, you know, low-key adventures and film noir. They actually do. And there's a movie out right now called Maggie Moores. Maggie, M-O-O-R-E, and then in parentheses, S, Maggie Moores, which is a terrible title for a film. Uh, but here's the setup. John Hamm plays a small-town sheriff. And John Hamm loves playing uh, law enforcement. He's played law enforcement for detectives in the town, Bad Times at the L El Royale, Richard Jewell, No Sudden Move, and even Conf Confess Fletch. I mean, he's kind of a journalist detective there. So he plays 
the chief of police in a fictional Buckland County, New Mexico. And there's a murder of a woman named Maggie Moore. And then like 10 days later, there's a murder of a second woman named Maggie Moore, hence the title Maggie Moore's. And it's this kind of low-key, offbeat uh, story about his investigation into why two Maggie Moores were killed in this small town. Kind of reminded me of a lot of the uh, the Tarantino knockoff movies of the 90s. After Pulp Fiction and Reservoir Dogs came out, we got all these movies like Killing Zoe and Love in a 45 and Things to Do in Denver When You're Dead, if you remember any of those movies. Uh, not top-tier stuff, but, you know, offbeat, quirky, dark humor, and always interesting acting. And uh, another cool thing here is Tina Fey is in this as a, a next-door neighbor who becomes a witness to a possible crime. So she and John Hamm are reunited after they're sent together on 30 Rock. And the director of Maggie Moore's is none other than John Slattery. Push jumper fell. Shot in the back of the head, dragging herself away. My God, that's awful. Vehicle's registered to Maggie Moore. Did you say Maggie Moore? Two dead Maggie Moores one week apart. Yeah, that's weird. Mr. Moore! Can I help you? Uh, I'm looking for Jay Moore. He's not here, they're separated. Oh. They're gonna nail me for this, you understand? Is Maggie one a mistake for Maggie two, or is Maggie two to cover for Maggie one? Somebody out there is really good at what they're doing. Jay looks like he's been shoved around a little bit. Junior detective? Who would do this? We'll find out. Sooner or later, we always do. This nutcase is setting me up. Uh-uh. That's crazy. False. She just dropped a dime on Maggie's husband. Life insurance. 700K. But wait, there's more. Maggie Moore. Maggie Moore. Maggie Moore. Maggie Moore. Who, uh, by the way, also appeared with John Hamm in Confess Fletch, but also most famously was, you know, his buddy on Mad Men. So it's great to see John Slattery directing a film starring John Hamm that co-stars Tina Fey. It's called Maggie Moore's. If you get a chance to check it out, I think it's worth your time. So pretty good stuff out there, guys. Thanks, as always, to everyone who's been listening. I'm Richard Roper, and we will talk again soon.